Welcome to the Faithful Christian Podcast. What up, peeps? Welcome back to another episode of Faithful Christian. Today, joining me for the first time, we have Michael. He's a brother and friend from my church. And returning for his third episode, we have Macklin. He was on last season on the episode of Kindness, and he was with me and my other friends in London for love. What's up, guys? Yo, what up? Good to be here, man. How you doing, bro? Good. Good to have you guys on. How you guys doing? It's been a good day. was looking forward to joining you guys for this conversation. Got off work early, so no complaints. I mean, I could complain, but I'm not going to. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, doing pretty good myself. It's been real chill today. I mean, got things done, but for the most part, it's been good. Sounds like you guys are more productive than me. I did a paper this morning, and then I watched some Avatar, and yeah, I could have done more productive things. <laughs> Solid use of time right there. I was yeah, going to say, Avatar is amazing, so don't even... I literally, <laughs> But what's funny that you say that, I watched a, a YouTube video of the evolution of Katara and just how Mike, like her character growth. Yeah. And then I watched some uh, Korra fights. So yeah, don't, it's okay. It literally happened. Yeah, it's all good. That's dope. (laughs) Anyway, so today's episode, we are going to be talking about wealth. So this is Christians and wealth. I selected Michael and Macklin to be on for very different reasons. Um, Michael and I connected at church because we were talking about financial literacy and we were just kind of passionate about it. Our church is doing a series on Jeremiah 29 where it encouraged us to, um, 29.5, I believe, encourages you to plant gardens and to build homes. And we were looking at in the context of our church's neighborhood, Anacostia, and how we can better serve our community there. And Macklin is someone who, financial background, I love Macklin. I, I'm inspired by you, your journey to where you are now. So I'm glad that you could join. So like I said, this episode is about wealth and we're going to talk about money, period. Not just those who have it, not those who have a lot of it, but also those who lack it. I would like to start by saying money is not evil. It is a tool and we are told to not love money, but we're told to love God. And if you have money, it is a tool to help build the kingdom of God and to help your brother and sister around you. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you guys hear the term wealth? Honestly, um, I feel like two different two different things. Uh, one, just someone has a lot. If that's like the simplest answer, someone just has a lot. Where they're and, and mostly in the sense of actual money, right? Like so, possessions is one thing, but then also, like you just have they just have a lot of money, right? Like if they're wealthy, that means they just have a lot. Um, and then sometimes in that wealth, they flaunt it. And that, and that's not always the case, of course. But sometimes when people say they're wealthy, and then you kind of think about, they got boats probably. You know, or they have like a, like a private jet. You know, or like something, or have a super big house. The other thing um, is sometimes when it comes to prosperity gospel. So I instantly think health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because a lot of people always associate those things together. Again, not that wealth is bad, not that money's evil. It's just that when you hear wealth, you know, you kind of hear one of those two things, well, at least for me, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think of wealth, the first thing that comes to mind is overabundance. And honestly, that tends to have a negative connotation when I'm thinking about it. I'm like having so much that others don't have. But interestingly, 
the next thought is that I want wealth and that most of the people I know want wealth. So it's interesting that my first thought has a negative connotation, but then I want that thing. So this was an interesting topic to consider because, yeah, money is not evil. Um, Wealth in the Bible seems to be at worst a neutral thing, in many ways a good thing. Overabundance seems to be the way God created the world to be abundant. So yeah, I think my culture and experiences have shaped my view of people who are wealthy. And it's convinced me that I'm not in that group. But we might we might get to that regarding whether or not we think I belong to that that group of wealthy people. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's so funny. So for me, when I hear wealth, um, actually, I was just reading on it today. Like, yeah, there's rich and then there's wealthy. So a rich person is a person that flaunts what they have. You know, they are the ones that um, are flashy with it. Wealth is sustainable. So to me, wealth is having an abundance, like you said, of um, resources where you don't necessarily have to worry about money. And it can, in America, look like greed in many senses. Look at the wealthiest people in our country. They have way more than they'll ever need for 20,000 people's lifetimes, honestly. Mm -hmm. But they are wealthy. They are the literal definition of wealth. And it's something I wrestled with growing up because, you know, I had wealthier grandparents. I guess I wrestled with the passages in scripture that dealt with wealth. I honestly feared that having it was bad at one point or another. And I came around to understanding that it is a tool, you know, and also just seeing the just like just the flip side of that, like those who do not have it, how much trouble it can be when you are in financial binds, when you have to, you know, work a job that's not meeting your needs, how much stress that produces for um, other people that, you know, that just made me go on the journey to be financially responsible, I would say. So like you, Michael, you know, yeah, it's something I want. I don't want to be struggling. But the real question to wanting wealth is, what is your purpose in wanting it? And what is your goal in having it? So I guess that'd be the next question. Michael, since you said that that is something you want. (laughs) (laughs) So what is my goal in wanting it? Well, Christian, I'd like to think that my goal is a good goal. (laughs) No, but um, yeah, man, it is something that I've considered, I think, pretty intentionally. Because I've had the experience of not having much. Granted, that was mostly when I was much younger. But I've gotten to see firsthand and then in many cases, secondhand, what it looks like to be impoverished. And... I think my goal for having wealth or having abundance is is twofold. One, it's not wanting the the stresses and the pressures that come with poverty. I'm having that desperation that might lead me to do evil in order to escape the desperation of poverty. And in seeing the way I manage the current resources I have, I think I would handle greater wealth than I currently have well. Um, At least that's my desire, because I I do think I'm wealthy in many ways. I think on the spectrum, I'm not super far down the road, but I do think I have more than I need. And so I have abundance. And I think God has been helping me to desire less for myself, but to desire 
to have better stewardship of what I have so that others, specifically those around me, can be provided for. So I want it to help provide and to steward it in a way that I think would be glorifying to God. I appreciate that answer. And I think that that's the heart that a believer should have in regards to um, wealth and obtaining it. Of course, we don't make it our primary pursuit. And I like that you brought up stewardship because it does come down to how do you manage what you are trusted with already? Like he who's trusted with little can be trusted with much, you know? Um, So I think that's really important. And I think that's kind of been my journey is learning how to steward what I do have very well. The little I have, I don't have a lot. Like what I have, I've learned how to manage well. But I've learned from the example of my grandfather who did have. So how does, you know, I guess that that gave me a little bit of an advantage. So um, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning stewardship. Macklin, do you want to answer that? Yeah, I do. And I actually, very similar to Michael, grew up in a, I would would use the word impoverished as well, house to house and sometimes no heat, sometimes, you know, just things like that. And when I was able to, you know, have a, when I was able to get a good job, when I was able to, you know, acquire um, things that I liked, I would go overboard at first, (laughs) but, but, and I sometimes still do, God forgive me, but, you know, I think it's one of those things where, for me now, and again, also similar to Michael, like I do just want to support and serve others as much as I can. Like there's a scripture in the Bible, um, and I know it's either, I think it's in Second Corinthians, I want to say it's eight or nine, and Paul is encouraging the saints, you know, like those who have much can give to those who have little. Then when the when the when the script flips, and then it's those people who have little have much can give to those who have little, it would be so no one would be in need. And so I'm wondering how I can be better at being able to serve people in that way and and the body ultimately, right? But then also like just your everyday people. How can I serve and love, right? And while also being salt and light, but being able to give in that way. And then even going further than that, how can I serve people who are on mission? Paul Washer one time talked about holding the rope for those that go down. So like there are the people who go down in the pit who are on the mission field, right? Like who are in, you know, your, your places like China or, you know, India or wherever, or even here. Um, and they're doing work. And yet some of us aren't called to that. And so we would be those who are holding the rope for them. So one way we can hold the rope is by giving financially. So that would be my biggest prayer. And then to be able to just know that it's okay to have things. Because I think the issue with the rich young ruler was that, yeah, he had stuff. But he worked, he wanted it more than he wanted Jesus. And so I don't want my stuff more than I want Jesus. I want Jesus, right? Like, at least that's what I pray. Sometimes I do want a little bit more stuff sometimes, and I don't want to spend the time with Jesus like I should. Um, and that, and I would say that that would be where the issue is. And so I would say that would be my goal. And, and one other thing is John Piper, I'm reading a book from him right now, actually called Living in the Light, Money, Sex, and Power. Mm-hmm. And I actually... I've read this book before and I was like, I've just been convicted on like my possessions lately. And I was like, mm-hmm. yo, you know what? I need to read this sucker again. <laughs> so I grabbed that bad boy off the yeah. shelf and I'm reading it again. And one of the big things he highlights is that is nothing wrong with money. It's nothing wrong with sex. It's nothing wrong with power. It is our abuse of those things. It is our making those things idols. 
instead of those things showing that God is supreme. Um, and so that would be one of my, one of my biggest hopes too, is like, how am I showing God is supreme through what I have? So it's not that it's wrong for me to have a video game, right. But could I get a community of people together, hang out and show God is supreme through the fellowship? I mean, but seriously, like how am I showing God is glorified and supreme and magnified? That's my ultimate desire. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hilarious because, you know, I'm looking at like, I'm thinking about the things I desire. The one thing I would say I want next is, okay, I want, I have a desire to move into the city. You know, mm-hmm. DC is expensive. <laughs> it just straight up is. But I'm probably going to be living in Southeast, which is cheaper than the rest of DC still is expensive for Southeast. And like, and I was thinking about it today because me and my mom were just talking about real estate today. And I was just like, what is my purpose of wanting to do this? And I had to keep coming back. It's, it's for the purpose of one, being able to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in, in my church. It's to be able to invest in the community that my church is located in. And it's a part of that Jeremiah 29.5 mission of being in that neighborhood, you know, to be a light in that neighborhood. Not that there aren't people there that aren't lights already. But I really think that there needs to be more mission-minded Christians with the purpose of going in and being an example and showing the kids in the neighborhood there's a different way of living mm-hmm. versus the kids where I live. Like, they already know that. You know, our neighbors are already doctors and lawyers and businessmen. Like, they don't need to be taught that. Like, but the kids in Southeast might need that example. They might need to know that success doesn't look how the world says success looks like. And ultimately, it's not even about what your job is. It's not even about even how much money you make. It's about your relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. So if I can go and I can just point them to Christ, then hey, cool. The purpose of me wanting to move into a certain neighborhood is is pure in that moment. But of course, there's still those other motives that I have to check. So I think it's really important to continually check your motives when it comes to the things that we want, you know, and we desire. So... That's good, man. I I appreciate both of you all mentioning the importance of considering missions when we consider what resources we want to come to ourselves. Um, But Christian, one of the things you just said, I think might be worth diving into a little bit related to what example of success some folks in, in, let's say, Southeast might need to see. I would say that's also what people in the suburbs need to see, that success doesn't coincide with resources, which is what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. But but I think that is an important thing on both sides, both for those who have much and little recognizing how are you defining success? What do you consider to be the things worth having? And I, I think a lot of the issues, because if we're talking about wealth, it's difficult to do that without acknowledging the other end of poverty. Mm-hmm. And if our definition is the wealthy are successful, the impoverished are unsuccessful, that leads to a lot of the, I mean, evil that we see, for real, for real. Like, that can't be the way we gauge things. We have to acknowledge the way that resources are tools, but gathering yep. too much doesn't, gathering a lot of a tool doesn't make you successful. You can have very little and be successful. You can have a lot and yep. be unsuccessful. And, and yeah, we, when we think of some people who we would consider successful, like our Lord and Savior, you know, who on on earth did not have very many resources. But at the same time, we see some very wealthy people in scripture, like the father of faith, Abraham, 
who was successful, both mm-hmm. in the the sense of he had a lot of things, a lot of wealth, but he also knew God. So yep. yeah, I'm glad you all brought brought that up, thinking about where is success found um, and what kind of witness do we want to be as we're thinking about it. Yeah. What's funny about that too, a friend of mine, I remember we used to talk about this all the time, how like people forget that, yes, there's a prosperity gospel, right? That does preach that. But then there's also a poverty gospel. And mm-hmm. neither one of them are actually biblical. That's right? it. Like, let's look exactly. at the Bible and just live according to that. Because if you go into the poverty gospel, then you're going to praise yourself and go, look at me, everyone. I'm poor and I love Jesus. And yeah. y'all should get poor like me. Right. And then you could be the person that goes, yeah. well, God's blessed us with all the riches and the cattle on a thousand hill, which you always hear. And like, yeah, <laughs> both of them. Both situations are true of not even, it's true that God can bless you with much. It's true that you may not have a lot at all and God is still good, of course. But one of my favorite scriptures is when Paul's like, in plenty and in want, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So there's the reality that Paul probably had plenty at times. And then there was probably times he had, he didn't have plenty. I mean, he got bit by like a snake. Right. Like, so it's like one of those things where, hey, I played him. That cat, he got bit by a snake. And like, yeah, in both situations, like God was still enough for him. and He could do all things through the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And so in reality, like sometimes we we harp on ah bash power, prosperity and then we praise poverty. Right. Which both of them God meets us at. I think that's that's like one of the bigger parts for me is like knowing that it's okay because by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace was not given to me in vain like that that is what is dope about either one you know yeah yeah I agree I like the fact that you brought up Michael earlier that the people in the suburbs too need to know that success does not come from what you have I would say for those who live out in the burbs who or in rich neighborhoods in the city to learn to be generous with what you have, to learn to be thankful for what you have and to learn that what you have is not for the purpose of just accumulating. You know, there is a responsibility for those who have obtained a certain level of success that we should be giving back into society. And Maybe learning to say, when do I have enough? You know, when is enough enough? Because I feel like that's the biggest struggle in America's cultures. Like there there doesn't seem to be enough. Like when is enough enough? Is $2 million enough? Is $800,000 enough? You know, what is your number? And I guess just being okay with that, you know, being okay with it. So I don't know, maybe you can answer that question as well. (laughs) I think the Bible does speak to that. Macklin just brought it up, the idea of contentedness and thinking about... There it is. Yep. I mean, yeah, like generosity and contentedness. I think having those two attitudes in mind, no matter what you have, is really what the Bible is trying to present. Because Mm. when Paul is talking about, I've learned the secret whether I have much or whether I have little, and that's to be content with what God has given him and to be content with God himself. Like that 
removes a lot of the negative connotation of having a lot or having little. Because we, we have to acknowledge, like, we're in a broken and fallen world. The way that God has designed things and what he wants us to have is going to be all over the place. But you can be content with what you have if your mindset is, because I have God, I don't need anything more than that. Everything on top of that is a blessing. And then the idea of generosity, I think when we look at the few times in the Old Testament where uh, the nation of Israel had it on straight, and then the early church, when they're talking about them having everything in common, it's helping us to see that the drastic wealth disparities that cause so much evil and tension now are really less of a concern when the community is generous. Like if you live in a generous society and community, the fact that someone has a lot and someone has a little doesn't matter as much because everyone's going to be taken care of. And, and we even see examples of that in the common grace that God has given us. Like in most families, most children don't work. It's the parents who work. Kids are poor, but the parents have assumed the responsibility of you are mine. Like you are my responsibility. The fact that you are not generating income is neither here nor there. I'm going to take care of you. And, and, and I really do think that's one way God helps us to see, like, this is how things were designed to be, that those who have much don't have too much. Those who have little don't have too little. Be generous. Generosity will handle a lot of the difficult situations we've, we've built up for ourselves. But outside of our, our blood relatives, you know, outside of our tribe, it's really hard to have that attitude, which is one reason why I think the Bible emphasizes we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Consider the way you would care for your family. The way you would care for your family is different than the way you would first think to care about those outside of your tribe. So I think generosity for those who have much and little, and then also learning to be content with what God has given us is really one of the ways to address that. Amen. And that made me think about First John 3, 17 through 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no penny on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Mm-hmm. Dear children, it's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. So it's taking the truth that we've learned and put it into action. And you can see he calls the one who is in need the brother or sister. So that is bringing them into that familial tie. So, yeah. Awesome. You guys both answered those very thoroughly. I appreciate it. Uh, So another question that, Michael, you and I spoke about this week was regarding um, Ecclesiastes 10.19. So what do we make of this Bible verse? Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. This is such a first in the bible you know because yeah you know we're not to love money and and when i read this i'm like well money is the answer to everything so therefore i need a lot of money uh, <laughs> yeah yo so this kind of like push back on that contentment you know it pushes back on that that piece of being content with what you have mm-hmm. how do we deal with verses like this in scripture yeah i'm glad you brought this up i remember when we touched on it briefly while we were chatting earlier this week, because this is, it's in scripture. It's worthy of being addressed and considering carefully, especially if it's coming from Solomon, who's considered the wisest man who ever lived. Like, 
If he says something, let's really consider it. Not to mention it's in God's word. Yeah, so money is the answer to everything. At the risk of going against what it says in the Bible, money is not the answer to everything. And I don't think that literally is what Solomon meant. I think that would be taking it out of the context of what he's trying to do in that book to say, okay, Solomon said money is the answer to everything. Because Solomon throughout Ecclesiastes is assessing how everything is futile, how everything is like vapor and passing away and fleeting, which would include the money and the resources that would go along with it. And he's working towards the point at the end of the book that is essentially saying, if God is not in the consideration, all of these things are worthless. I mean, I can be wealthy and build great palaces, but one day I'm going to die, just like the slave. The only thing that's going to make a difference is whether or not you have turned to God and and what you're establishing actually has lasting eternal value. And so I think when he's talking about money being the answer to everything, he's acknowledging here as it concerns temporal things, yo, money is an awesome tool. (laughs) I mean, I can't think of anything that if I had more money to put at it, it wouldn't be better. Like, if I wanted to build a house, more money would help with that. Come on, somebody. If I wanted to take somebody on a date, money will help with that. Come on, somebody. Like we said, if you're doing missions, we need people holding the rope. Money will help with that. I mean, we see in scripture, Paul commending churches like, yo, thanks for that offering. Because we're doing missions. Because we're trying to take care of people in Jerusalem. Like, thank you for this money. I I think that would be a more faithful way to consider what he's saying, like money is useful. As far as temporary things go, money's the answer to that. But scripture also talks about how we cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot earn for ourselves righteousness. Like it's clearly not an answer to those things, which ultimately determine the value of everything that we're doing. So yeah, I think like like most things, context helps. But like we said, money ain't evil. And that thing sure help with a lot of things. So, yeah, that's how I would answer it. I like it. Macklin? Bro, you ain't never lied. <laughs> but I think it's so funny. So I was literally just listening to um, a podcast uh, from Jackie Hill Perry and Preston Perry, 30 Minutes with the Perrys. And they mm-hmm. were talking about making sure that con- like context is critical. And like they were talking about uh, like speak those things as though that were not as if they were. And they were talking about how it was ultimately God speaking that and us going to God and us reading the scripture in context. And one of the issues, if you want to talk about wealth when it comes to the church and when it comes and sometimes not even a prosperity gospel church, but sometimes just a church, right? Like we just instantly take a verse and we run with it and we think, oh, well, that that's exactly what that means. So that means I need to do this. And like you said, is I believe it the same thing. Like it's very true that money can answer those things, but it doesn't actually fully satisfy and it never has. And many, many times did not, like, actually, if we worship money, it destroys us. Because Solomon, the same person who said that, was one of the richest men ever, right? Like, he was loaded. And he was also sitting by having 700 women as his wife. So there's this factor that he thought, okay, money did take care of it. He could take care of all 700 of them. He could do all these different things. And he was very wise. But as he got older, he realized 
as Ecclesiastes is obviously saying that the this stuff is fleeting and a chasing after the wind. I think if we again, like like Michael said, if we take the scripture out of context, we will believe that that this is fine. Like so, that I'll, I I need money. I need I need dough. And, and yes, we do. We need it to live every day because of the world we're in. That 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 has never changed. However, for it to become our one and only thing is where we get destroyed. Yeah. And I had never heard that scripture before. So, and I've read Ecclesiastes. I was like, what just happened? So I had to like go to the Bible. I was like, where is this? I was literally like, where is this at, son? (laughs) What? I was like, I was like, maybe this was in, and he talking about it later in this, you know. You know what happened? You put your Bible app on and you pressed play and you fell asleep and you woke up after this. That's what I did. And that's how I totally missed that particular verse because I went to bed. Right at the time. (laughs) No, nah, but seriously, yeah. I, it's, it's crazy how that um that is though. Like, it is the answer to a lot of taking care of a lot of our physical things, the needs, and it is beneficial to the saints, right? Like, churches can be more effective when we tithe, when we give our offerings. Praise God, you know. Um, we're again, people on mission can serve better. Like, I can feed my family, you know, all those things. But for it to only be just for my satisfaction, I won't have enough. And I'll be satisfied. And I've been to that point sure. before where I've literally stopped and and which is why I repented. I'm going back to this other book because I'm like, yo, you just got stuff. <laughs> you just have things sometimes. And you need to think about what the purpose of it of having those things means, you know? I agree. Yeah. I and I Macklin, you mentioned like money can also destroy. And I think that's kind of been what I've seen, it has destroyed things in my life and um, mainly familial relationships. Like it feels like when it comes to money, families be acting all funny, uh, which makes sense. But in my mind, isn't worth all that. You know, it's not worth all that. I've seen it destroy my family. I've seen it cause people to act crazy. I've seen it to do some very harmful things. So y'all, yes, it did. uh, And it has provided means to um, pay for things like school, food, you know, clothes, it provides for our basic needs. It's also in my life been a tool of destruction. So it's a tool. Like we said, it can be a tool of good, or it can be a tool of evil. You know, so I've seen it used in both ways. So I think my view is a little tainted sometimes because of that. However, it hasn't stopped me from still pursuing to be wise with my money and from wanting to grow the money I have for the purposes of being a good steward in the church and to be able to advance God's work. So it definitely answers a lot of problems, but it does cause them. (laughs) It does cause them. And um, one of the things that's been helpful for me in thinking about how to handle a tool that's dangerous, essentially, that's what we're saying. Like money is useful, but like in acts, you can hurt yourself. You can put yourself in real peril um, if you use it unwisely. Is when Peter is talking in in First Peter chapter four, and he's giving some instruction about being stewards of what God has provided, and he tells the people to be self controlled and sober minded, and then he goes on to say, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another, 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. And I think having that mindset of one, we need self-control, which comes from the spirit. We need to be sober-minded. Like we have to recognize, hey, this is dangerous. It's useful for sure. It can help with a lot of things, but it's also dangerous if I'm unwise. So I want to acknowledge that at the start. Let's not assume that nothing can go wrong here, that it can't lead me astray. But with that mindset, now I can go forward and use it to serve other people because it is a gift from God. It's something that he's given that still belongs to him so that I can steward it well. Like It's interesting that that word is used. You are a steward of it not the owner. These resources belong to God. And like when when we see the parable of, of the talents, God is expecting us to use what he's given us well and for his purposes. And if we're using them inappropriately, there's going to be consequences. And, and some of those consequences are going to be evil in the world of us uh, lording it over other people, of us creating systems of oppression, creating disparities in in not being concerned for the needs of other people. But within the Christian community, it's really clear, like we are supposed to be those who take the gift that we've been given, acknowledge that it is a gift, and acknowledge that God is expecting me to serve people. Because we can see that God is someone who takes all of what he has, and he, he serves people. Christ came and served despite being our Lord, And that's the example that we're called to follow. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good tool, but it's also a dangerous one, potentially. Yeah. And with that, we need to keep ourselves free from the love of money. There are so many warnings in scripture about the pursuit of wealth. So while we, you know, as believers, I don't think we should aim to be poor. We shouldn't make our focus to pursue wealth. We should pursue Christ. And if wealth comes, praise God. You know, and if poverty comes, praise God still. And if your life is as middle class as they come and average and you can afford to go to Kroger's and you can do one vacation a year, praise God. Um, I would say to that point, Hebrews 13, 5 to 6, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Like we talked about earlier, contentment. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we Say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Like Michael and Macklin stressed so earlier, be content with what you have. Pursue Christ. And if wealth increases, praise God. If poverty comes, you can do all things through Christ. Praise God. And if your life is middle, praise God. So I want to flip the switch a little bit. Let's talk about poverty. Let's talk about Let's poverty, and we're going to have to tread lightly on this one Broke because this I'm not poor. I'm just oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to tread lightly, though, because this is, a very, this is very sensitive, and I can't be the, the spokesperson of it. I've always lived in a middle to upper middle class family, so I can't say for certain what all the workings are of poverty. I can say I've seen it. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my community. I've seen it in the city I live near, I went to school in, I worship in. So I've been in close proximity with it, but it's not something that I have experienced firsthand. So that is my disclosure. 
for this topic, anyone who's listening and might want to crucify me. So <laughs> with that being said, I want to go over some causes of poverty and maybe we can try to see if there are some answers that we can give to those who are listening who may, you know, know someone who is in severe poverty or, you know, serves in the impoverished community. How can we wrestle with this topic faithfully, biblically, and keeping in mind that people who are impoverished are people? I think that we don't always remember that. It seems like there's such a lack of compassion at times, particularly when it comes to um, certain levels of poverty. We can say homelessness, maybe, and that's not right, you know? Like, we're to care for the poor, so... Yeah, let's dig into it. So what are some of the causes of poverty? I have a list here, but I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Man, there there are many to start. I mean, there are a lot of reasons um, that people may find themselves in poverty. I guess to start as a means of being sensitive, the only reason is not because people are not hardworking. That can be a reason, but... Poverty does not insinuate a person's willingness to work. In in many cases, you'll find that the Mm -hmm. hardest working people are those who have the the least to show for it. Say it again. But with that said, lack of work, I mean, one plus one equals two. You don't work. You don't earn things, typically speaking, Mm -hmm. typically speaking. So we have to acknowledge that there is a reality of of people being lazy, not taking responsibility for themselves. But it seems to be the case that when we look at the drastic wealth disparities, considering we live in a world that God has designed to be abundant, for people to be in severe poverty, we have to acknowledge that a large part of that has to do with the greed of others, of people taking far more than they need and not leaving behind any for those who with minimal effort, could otherwise gain. And so you see that in the form of systematic oppression. You see that in the form of exploitation of people. Um, You see it in a variety of ways. Um, You also see it in what can feel like the inescapable consequences, not of your mistakes, but of a previous generation's mistakes. I mean, there are people who are now paying the cost for whether just bad situations or bad choices that their ancestors have made. Yeah, there's a lot of causes of poverty. Bills, medical bills, like there there are things that can put such a stress on a person's ability to climb out of it that it leaves them severely impoverished. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I think about, uh, there was there's one thing I've been thinking about and I want to kind of write on it one day, but how is it that there is a lower income community in every single state? How has come there is a lower income community in another country, in almost every country? It's because of, like what Michael said, like greed, systematic oppression. Like you have so many different things affecting people. Um, And even sometimes people just lose their job, you know, like layoffs. You have, then some people, like like Michael also said, does don't want to work sometimes, you know. There's all different things like that. But I just always look at it like in a sense of a lack of equity. Like, you know, like, how, how is it that, like, again, every single state has that? There's no one state or no one city even 
that people, everybody's fine financially and everyone's doing great, right? It just isn't. And I do think like those realities like hit hard for, for many of us. Yeah. 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 Even Macklin, I was thinking about even like if you look at Rivermont Avenue in Lynchburg, like yeah. it is yeah. such a, it's a despairing thing. Like the have and have nots talk about changing like social economic statuses in a matter of 10 seconds, you know? Yep. Like you enter yep. one part of it and it's just, just rundown houses, um, people on the street loitering, um, a gas station that's notoriously known to be the one that you shouldn't stop at. And then two seconds down the road, like palatial homes, like on Literally. the same street. Yeah. And yep. it's, it's kind of sad. Like that is America, the country we live in. And now we look at gentrification. You look at like different factors like that. And you're like, yo, like, it's just, it's just like you're moving cattle. That's why I, I remember one time I was in a, uh, in a meeting yep. and they literally asked about gentrification. And I was the first one to speak. And I said, you are herding cattle. Essentially people are just cattle and they're not made in God's image to you. They're, they're just people. So you could, you see their house, they got to go. The house is good to fix it, like to be a fixer upper. You fix it up. You raise the price too high, like just enough, which also proves that there is a difference in like a financial difference for people, right? Like you raise them just high enough to where they can't afford it. <laughs> but then you get like some of the right, quote unquote, right people in and then they can't afford it. And now the cost, not the cost of living, um, just like it, the image of the neighborhood looks better, which those things are mm-hmm. always good, right? I can't knock everything, but the image of that, you know, like it being a better, maybe even more diverse neighborhood is cool. But mm-hmm. at the same time, at the expense of moving other people where like Jesus gentrifies, but doesn't, doesn't change who we are, right? Like he doesn't like, he, he doesn't change. He changes us in a sense of our sinful nature, but I can still be Macklin in Christ, right? Like where like he never even told Zacchaeus to stop being a tax collector. Like he he corrected his sinful nature, but Zacchaeus probably still had to do his job while also now being fair. And so when you look at the situation, even like gentrification and poverty, like there's that's non-existent. I don't at least I don't see it um as being existent. Like you look at people just go, Well, I need my money. You know, I need my dough. For the house you rent, and that's just what it is. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. I uh, we can talk about gentrification forever because yes, we could. Yes, we could. True, true, true. Bro. It is so prevalent here. It is like we are probably the number one most gentrified city in the country, mm. and I've seen story after story that have broken my heart. Families that have lived in homes that have been paid off losing their homes because of the lack of ability to pay the taxes on the house. Wow. In one instance, I think a man lost his house over like $125 of a tax bill not being paid. Wow. Oh my God. And it honestly crushed me. I was like, that's stripping away wealth from his family, you know? Wealth from his family is literally taken away because of a $125 tax bill that he didn't pay. I don't want to turn this into the episode about gentrification, but... (laughs) But I've said that, I do think there is something revealed in the process of gentrification that goes to your question of what causes poverty. Because 
when we were talking about wealth earlier, in a lot of ways, we were referring to it as something that we don't belong to that class. But we're also not owning that we own to the impoverished class. We're trying to keep ourselves excluded. And I think one of the causes of poverty is our lack of willingness to take ownership for the things that are our fault, whether we're participating in them directly or indirectly. Because gentrification happens because developers who are wealthy come into a neighborhood, but the developers aren't living in those apartments. They're not the ones who are managing those shops. It's middle-class people like us who are coming in and saying, I can afford this with little concern for, can the folks who used to live here afford to live here? Are we cons- do we have empathy for them? Because they still need a place to live. You know, I think gentrification is a good microcosm of what leads to poverty. And, and a part of that is the general population's lack of empathy for those with less than them who are easy to overlook. Because we can say, yeah, I don't feel good about what's happening to them, but I need an affordable place to live. And this is the neighborhood they're offering it in. When, at least in our context, In America, we can vote on things like that. We can make our voices known. We can take our empathy and do something with it. That might not be the case everywhere, but in the U.S., drastic poverty exists largely because people with just a little bit more refuse to care about those with a little bit less. We'd rather look at the mega wealthy, the fraction of a 1%, and say it's all their fault. That's not true. That's not true. It can't be all their fault. I'm not saying they have no fault, but so do we. Part of the fault is us and our refusal to stand up for people, which is not what we see when we look at at a biblical example of, of courage and of loving our neighbor. Our neighbor includes those who don't live in the same kinds of neighborhoods we live in. You know, so I, I think gentrification is a is a useful tool to help people see that. Those of us who feel strongly about gentrification should also feel strongly about helping those who are getting pushed out of gentrified neighborhoods. That's so true. It's so funny. There's a book, I don't know if you all have ever heard of it, called Root Shock. And Root Shock talks about a, a few of these different things. So one, one big thing that happened in, in Roanoke, so I'm from Roanoke, Virginia. And one of the things that happened here was there was a neighborhood that was vibrant, a predominantly Black community that was vibrant and growing and just like, I mean, Everything was happening. You had you had your famous music artists, you had your famous movie stars that were black, all coming to this neighborhood, the Gainsborough neighborhood. And what ends up happening is two things. One, a Coca-Cola plant um, wanted to come in, and so the city thought it was good, good money, right? And then the Civic Center that we have here, uh, they wanted it to come in. And both spaces had houses and communities and all those in them in spite of that boom they move those people out those people get moved to other parts of the city uh mostly inner city communities and they build a coca-cola there and they build a civic center and and it is still affecting the people to this day you go to any meetings about any of that and it's still affecting the people to this day and that also reminds me that money is power because yes, if it is. you got it do what you got to do and on top of that, as long as it ain't bothering me, as long as it doesn't hurt me, I'm good, right? That's a big issue too, is like, we just don't, like like you said, Michael, we don't remember the other people. We forget about them. 
no matter what situation we're in. I can I can pray all I want, right, for those people to have houses and jobs, but am I doing something about it? And I confess, I'm guilty of that. You're right. Like it's one of those things where we just we 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 pray about it, we we show our disdain, right? Like we may say, yeah, I ain't feeling this. But am I the one <laughs> moving into that place? Talk about it. I mean, that's true. Am I the one that's now like, and what's funny is that I was literally looking at one of those houses because I said, I want to have my own house so I can build relationship with the community. And oh, well, this house is now open, but I wonder who lived at that house before and where they're at now. Are they in a housing development now because of the fact that they couldn't afford this place? I don't know. You know, but it is very funny just how powerful money can be. And that's when the love of money is about evil is that like, because I do own all these things, I can do what I want. And you can't tell me, even at the expense of other people. When I went to the Dominican Republic back in 2012, I'll never forget it. I was, um, I stayed in La Romana and which wasn't, isn't the most prosperous community, but it was still kind of better than where I went to go serve. So we didn't serve the people in La Romana. We went to the Bates. And the Bates, that's where you have a mix of Haitians and Dominicans that live together. And a lot of Haitians, I don't know if you all know this, are treated very, very horribly by the Dominican population. There's just a lot of racism and oppression that is there, especially towards Haitians. Well, anyway, a lot of those Haitians and Dominicans that don't have the money actually stay in the Bates. The Bates... There's no sidewalks. There's no, you know, concrete. But there's sidewalks. It's just not concrete. And I'll never forget, like, we went there every day to serve. We went there to give beans and rice and, like, to go hang out with the kids and to clean things and give glasses and share the gospel. What's crazy to me is that we learned that the houses that the people lived in in the Bates were actually owned by the government. So similar to a housing development, it was owned by you know, kind of like a a governing authority, right? But what's worse is that say you had items in the house and you moved, you could not take your items with you. The items stayed at the Bates because they had the power to do that. When we were there, I remember seeing men walking around with big assault rifles and all this, but it's crazy because that's how the people live. And I remember hearing that story from one of the people there. I just and, and it blew my mind because I was like, yo, like, you mean to tell me that this little doll that we're giving your daughter right now, like she wouldn't possibly maybe not the doll as much, but maybe other furniture and stuff, you can't take your furniture with you. Because they have the power to tell you that you cannot do that. And and they're gonna keep it. And wow. that's when, and that right, and that's when you look at poverty and you go, dang, like. I really don't have a say in the matter too much because money rules everything in a sense, you know, like uh, if you take that scripture that was said in Ecclesiastes and you look at it in the most sinful way possible, (laughs) that is a perfect example. But yeah. Wow. That's a wild story, bro. But yeah, money is power. Yeah. I don't, I don't even have anything to say after that. It really is. Man. So that's why it kills me when people say, like, they need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Stuff like that. I remember one rapper, one Christian rapper. Um, Some people don't have boots. Right, right. And, and and that's exactly what the rapper said. He was like, yo, like, they don't have a boot to strap. 
Like, how are they going to criticize about our own bootstrap? And you instantly look at them and assume that that was the situation, right? You look at them and assume that just because they're homeless, they got to be working or they've been lazy. You have no idea. They may be grinding like crazy. And that's where blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy comes into play. Yes. Because if we forget about God's mercy, if we forget about his grace, like then we will instantly go, this person needs to work. Or this person needs to do this. You need to step up your game, and that's horrible. That is not of the. That is not how the Lord works. That is not how God works. God, I mean, God is Jesus. Like He did not. He died for them too. You know what I'm saying? Fathers are poured out for them too, just like us. Like, and we could be in that same spot anytime. And because of this yep. virus, many small businesses, many homes, like I mean, not in homes, but many small businesses and people. They've lost their jobs, like small businesses have closed. We've had a couple here in Roanoke close because the virus affected the economy, it affected people coming in. And so now, even if it got better, the businesses are permanently closed. So now they're in the same spot as the person that people talk about need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, so the same mercy that the person that we just talked about needs to be given to this restaurant that just closed. And let's not just give it to them first because they were a popular place and all this stuff. No, because they're equally people made in God's image in the same way. And they need the same love and they need the same mercy. Yeah. And that starting point has to be the starting point for believers of no matter where you fall down politically or what have you, these are people made in the image of God and God does not mince words when he talks about how his image bearers should be treated. I mean, we we see, where is it, in Isaiah 58, where God is sending Isaiah to reprimand the leaders, and he's talking to them about not that you guys are unreligious. He's saying you are religious but unrighteous. And he says things like, is this not the fast that I chose for you? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. Like he is very specific. The reason I'm upset with you is because oppression prevails in your community. Is because people have much and don't look out for those who have little. And at least in this context, God had given plenty of provisions, plenty of provisions to make sure the poor are provided for. He, he doesn't say you have to be a communist state where no one owns anything. But he does create provisions like the year of Jubilee, where we acknowledge, yes, over the course of 50 years, wealth can be distributed wildly. So how about this? So that no one is ever in desperate situations their entire life, let's have a year when you go back to your inherited land so that no one is accumulating so much that they have a monopoly on everything and people are desperate and can never escape. Like God creates provisions while still allowing people's hard work to be rewarded and for people's sin to have consequences. And and it seems to me that we live, I live a life and I live in a culture where letting the poor into my house is not a real consideration. You know, that's something you do when you're on a mission trip. That's something you do when you're out of your house and you're going to serve those who who you're not going to be around long term. But but God makes it clear that he wants his people daily, yeah. yearly to be reminded of, I want you to care for these people. Mm-hmm. And the whole pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing, 
I could be mistaken, but I'm going to say it confidently anyway. Isn't that supposed to be a description of an impossible task? Because if you're wearing your boots, how are you going to pull yourself up? Like, you can't defy the laws of gravity. Grab your shoes and try to lift yourself in the air. Like, this ain't a video game. That It, it is supposed to describe something that you can't do. And if you don't have the power that money affords you, and you live in a society where money is power and money tends to beget more money and poverty tends to be generational, come on. Most of the time when we say things like that, our intention really isn't for the person to to accumulate or to succeed in the same way that we are succeeding. Our intention is to shift the blame and to say, look, let's not talk about the systemic things that could be rectified. Let's not talk about my lack of generosity. Let's not talk about all of the things that there are to talk about. Let's shift all the blame to you. Poor people are sinners, just like rich people are sinners. I'm not saying that people don't have responsibility, but to simply say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I think that's the type of thing God would say, is this the type of church I've ordained you to be? Is that what I mean when I say be religious? Or is religion that God finds as pure and faultless this, to look after the orphan and widow in their distress? Like God makes it very clear that we are to be concerned for people. And and, and too often we're tempted to shift that that call and say, well, I would be concerned, but you see they've made some mistakes. As if orphans and widows aren't also sinners. As if we don't know that. Like, yes, you're in a broken world. These people have made mistakes, but where did you get your resources from? Oh, my hard work. And who allowed your hard work to be rewarded the way it is? Because every good gift is from above. Yep. Your job right. didn't have to be truthful. Your job could have went bankrupt before your last paycheck came. Like if you have a good thing, it came from God ultimately. And if you're saying, I'm not going to share because these people made mistakes, yo, be responsible with your generosity. Amen. I'm all about that, but be generous. Yep. Actually, oh my gosh, you have made <laughs> such good points that I want to that I want to bounce off of, bro. So one, that makes you God. If you have this feeling of righteousness that where you're good, right? And they're the bad guy. Talk about you it. You have now become God. And God said there should be no other guys before him. So let's go ahead and cut that out and let's hum- like I pray that we're all humbled in that way, right? Because Again, I'm pretty sure many times, and not even just with homeless or just those who are impoverished, but many people, I've always, you, it's easier for us to put ourselves on a pedestal, right? By all of our good works and our deeds, rather than seeing, yo, like God, what is it that God reigns on just and unjust and that he's merciful to both? Like there's, yes. there's yes. no, he has no, he shows no favoritism. Like the scriptures talk about that. I think that's the that's one of the bigger things is that like right it's so easy when we talk about poverty also the other thing I was thinking about was when you talked about inviting the homeless person into your house right like mm-hmm. sometimes we have a tendency to treat the person as the mission field rather than the person yep. forgetting that they are a person like literally like your next door neighbor could become yep. homeless and go through the same thing. Are you going to treat them? And, and it's a person that you could have known forever and grew up with. 
how would you treat them? Would you treat them like they're made in God's image and that, you know, you can give them your time and you can live out the gospel with them because they're a person? Or would you go, well, let me go do this. And then you start sharing it on social media about how you say, helped all these people, how you did all this stuff. Like, that like part. The, scriptures, the scriptures are clear. It says when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You just do it. And you just Let's serve and you six. serve in love. Do it in secret. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's another scripture. It's, um, ah, I can't remember the exact scripture at the moment. But it says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. You don't have to harbor those things on people. You don't have to do this just so you can get praise. You don't have to do those. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do any of that. Just, just love people. And out of out of bearing fruit, hopefully we love and I and I'm saying this again as a guilty person, of course, but out of bearing fruit, we can love well and serve people and just see them as people. Cause that's one of the other issues too, is that people who go through homelessness, people who go through those things, they know many times they're being looked at as a mission field. They're not stupid. They stop at treating them like they're an animal. They know that they're like that they're being treated that way. Right? Not one time did Christ yeah, do that to yeah. a soul during his time on earth. Even the my favorite scripture, John 4, the Samaritan woman, mm. he did not treat her like she was garbage. He did not, he did not dog her. He did she he met her at the 12 o'clock hour when it was burning up outside. Where did she knew that was the only time she'd go get some water? He met her because he wanted to meet her where she was. And so the issue sometimes with us is that when we say meet people where they're at, it's really, like you said, Michael, I'll go on mission, right? I'll go to the homeless shelter and go serve some food. But if they're in my neighborhood, there's a possibility they look suspicious and I'm going to call the cops. Oh, well, we know what we do to people who look suspicious in our well to do neighborhoods. And I was right. Oh, yeah, let's not go there. Let's not. Brian, you just got wrapped up, Christian. I'm going to need you to stare us back on track. Yes, because even though it has to do with this, I'm I'm just saying. No, you went exactly (laughs) where it needed to go because, you know, I was going to talk about favoritism. And I'm so glad you mentioned we don't welcome the poor into our homes. We have this attitude of, oh, the richer you are, the better looking it's going to be for me to be around you. And the more that I can Mm -hmm. benefit from this relationship. Instead of, like you said, Macklin, you brought this multiple times, like caring for the person. This is a human who deserves love, who deserves respect, who needs the gospel more than likely. And how are we going to do that if we are not willing to do life with them? You know, that breaks my heart because that is often the attitude that we have in America. Like, I can't just pin that on anyone, someone else. I've I've been there. Like, why why this person coming to our house? Like, what what can they do for us? It's not about what they can do for us. It's about what you can do for them. It's about who you can point them to. It's about you loving them like you're supposed to. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, it comes down to that. And I'm just I was just staring at James too as you both were speaking, and just the attitude that is reflected in the beginning of this passage just makes my heart sink. Like suppose man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and five clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Goes back to the point you say, Macklin, we make ourselves God. We have decided who is worthy of respect, who's not worthy of respect. That's not our role. You know, that is not our job. Our job is to love. Our job is to help the um, disenfranchised. Our job is to help the disenfranchised. Our job is to help the disenfranchised. You know, like, I can't say that enough. Like, that's our job. And if we're not doing that, we're not obeying God. And the thing I like to hear people say is, well, it's hard to help the disenfranchised. Well, duh. Like, it's not easy to do a lot of things that are good. (laughs) But it doesn't excuse you from doing them. It's not easy to run from sexual sin. It doesn't excuse you from not running from it. It's not easy for some people to put down the bottle. It doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not supposed to put down the bottle. You know? Like our yeah. willingness or unwillingness rather to do hard things has kept us from doing the right thing. And I think we truly need to press past that attitude of, well, it's just hard or that's for someone else to do. No, it's for all of us who call Christ Lord to do. So you guys, yeah, put the fire. So thanks. (laughs) Man, I honestly don't even know where to go from here. I feel like we covered a lot and this could probably be like a whole season of the podcast because it is a topic that is very, um, it goes deep, especially it runs deep in our country's roots of the have and have nots, the injustices that have caused poverty in certain communities. And, you know, it's something I, I don't know, it's a topic to me that I'm passionate about because I'm sick of seeing the disparities, you know, like it makes me sick and I don't always respond properly. So I'm not approaching this as one who has done it right. I have not, but I pray that everyone listening to this will reevaluate where are you putting your trust where are you putting your stock who are you trusting what are you believing about you know the resources that you have do you believe that they're yours or do you believe that it all belongs to god and i believe that if we approach it with the attitude that it all belongs to him that we would learn to reallocate what he has entrusted us with to do good with those resources. So do you guys have any um, closing thoughts? Repent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> but, Seriously. I'm kidding, but I'm not. But I'm kidding. But yeah, but I'm, I'm like, I'm joking, but not. Nah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was good. Yeah, man. Good Thanks. to air this out and think through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is, More man. to do. I, I agree. I do. think this is something... I think me and Macklin could go on for a while talking about this. I'm trying to give you some space to wrap up. Um, But I I do have a couple of things that I think would be beneficial (laughs) to end on. Let's hear it. Um, Thinking about both those who may may consider themselves wealthy or not consider themselves wealthy, but in fact are wealthy like us um, or those who are poor. And that's to the wealthy. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of the good that God has given you. Repent if you've gotten it through wickedness, but if God has blessed you with a good thing, use that good thing in a way that will glorify God. Be generous. 
be wise in the way that you're generous even. I'm not advocating for reckless giving. Um, I think many times the better thing to do is to actually enter the person's life, not to just throw money at them as if that will actually solve their greatest need. So use the privilege you have to help people. And for those who, who have less, to remember that, yeah, Jesus tells us that God cares about us. And if he provides for birds and for flowers, come on, he has you. God will provide good for you. And he asks that we fall in step with what Jesus has in mind to do in this world and to trust that just like he provided manna in the wilderness, he's going to provide for those who are in need. So I would say that in both cases, our responsibility is to trust God and to try to live as in step with him as, as we can. And I think the last thing I would say is that we're reminded in Acts chapter 2 when Paul is actually talking about how he provided for his own needs while sharing the gospel. He, he reminds them that our Lord told us it's better to give than to receive. And so, again, thinking about what we have, whether it's a lot or a little, we're actually designed to be people who are generous. That satisfaction comes from taking the good thing we've received from God and sharing it with other people. It's no longer a mystery of whether or not wealth makes people happy. It doesn't. It solves some problems, but it doesn't handle the inside. And so yeah. we got to remember that when we're thinking about our pursuit of it or our lack of it. If we get it and we don't have it, that's not going to solve our greatest need. And gaining more or losing some of what we have is not the end of the world. And in many cases, it's through the, the losing of it and not getting more that we're able to more clearly focus on God. So, yeah, man, use what God gave you well and trust God. And also, bouncing off that a little, don't look at your poverty as something wicked, necessarily, according to the world standards. But also, don't look at your prosperity necessarily as something wicked according to the statements look at it according to scripture go according to what the lord is saying and he puts some people in a spot so they can serve and give a certain way and he puts some people in a spot so they can give and serve a certain way may our testimonies be a reminder of the gospel and his work in us no matter what situation we're in we're either one amen yeah i think you guys wrapped that up nicely and i really don't want to add anything because I think you guys left some good meat there. <laughs> so thanks once again, you guys, um, for joining us, those who are listening. And thank you, Michael and Macklin, for bringing the word and bringing your wisdom. You're generous, brother. Thank you for having us. This is fun. It definitely was a blast. You're not a problem, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Peace. Peace. Good one.